Hello and welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris, I am your host, joined as ever with my co-host Andrew. Good evening, sir. (laughs) Good evening, sir. And we are here for a very special movie. We're going back to the 70s, a decade that uh, we both love as far as filmmaking goes. But before we get into this... uh, one of the most brilliant political thrillers that you may or may not have ever seen. I just want to remind everyone that the Cult Film Companion Podcast is now available on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cult Film Comp, C-U-L-T-F-I-L-M-C-O-M-P. And, of course, if you forget all of that, we will be the first thing that comes up if you Google Cult Film Companion. That being said, we are also a featured podcast on the Blind Knowledge Network at www.blindknowledge.com, which is a great website to check out for video, video casts and podcasts from around the world covering a slew of fascinating topics that are, that are delivered in an informative and entertaining fashion. We are also a featured podcast on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android that finds the most current and trending articles based on topics that you choose to follow and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. Stop scrolling, start listening. Download and use Newsly for free today at www.newsly.me. And if you would like, please use the promo code C-U-L-T-F-1-L-M. That's Cult Film, drop the I, pop it a one, and get a month free of their premium service courtesy of us. With all that out of the way, I would like to introduce this episode's movie, The Parallax View, which came out on June 14th, 1974. It was directed by Alan J. Pacula. It stars Warren Beatty and Paula Prentice. It was based on the 1971 novel by Lauren Singer with a great screenplay by David Geiler, Lorenzo Semple Jr., and with an uncredited rewrite by Robert Town. Now, this movie was distributed by Paramount Pictures. Unfortunately, in my research, I was unable to come up with a budget or an actual box office gross, but needless to say, it was considered a disappointment at the time. It was, when it was initially released, received a mixed critical reception, which I theorize might have been due to the fact that the 1970s were ripe with uh, conspiracy slash political thriller dramas. It seemed that that was like the decade 
post-Watergate, there seemed to be a lot of it going on. So, unfortunately, this one might have been lost in the shuffle. Um, I know uh, one of, in Robert, uh, Roger Ebert's uh, write-ups of The Parallax View, he compared it to a movie called Executive Action that came out in 1973 that he thought was a better take on similar material. Really? But That's interesting. I had to say... This is one of the more interesting conspiracy political thrillers that I have ever seen. The script is good. Uh, the other two that come to mind immediately are All the President's Men. We were talking about that. Right. Um, and The Manchurian Candidate? Well, Manchurian Candidate, that's more 60s. Right. Uh, but the, the other Robert Redford one, was it Three Days of the Condor, I think, uh, is also very conspiracy oriented okay very similar actually so it could have been just you know a little bit too much and sometimes when that happens you know we've seen similar movies come out and then one movie kind of overshadows the other yeah but it often seems that the trend kind of the one that gets overshadowed is more fondly remembered later on um which i think is the the case with the parallax view because there is a gorgeous uh edition from criterion that is available that we watched that has some amazing artwork, great, great articles, and a, li- a nice little booklet. Terrific and, booklet, which I'll quote from. A and bit. Um, yeah, just great artwork. But a brief synopsis is that we have a journalist who uh, initially was scripted to be a police officer, and um, they changed it to a journalist who's investigating these political assassinations and the fact that uh, uh, this one assassination that sets off. A, a chain of events because everyone that's involved in this inner circle around this initial assassination that's shot beautifully on the what is it the the needle space needle the, in the Seattle. space needle in Seattle, Seattle. Yeah. right yeah. that opening. I mean the whole movie is shot beautifully that's kind of what makes it stand apart right from these other flicks that we're mentioning not that those aren't shot well but there's something so cinematic in the visual aspect of Parallax View uh, that. It, it's, it's unmatched. It's pretty unrivaled. Um, which we're going to get into because the cinematographer, uh, Gordon Willis, uh, has shot some of the, the classics. Annie Hall, all three of the Godfathers. Mm. Well, there you have it. I mean, so, that, that, yeah, as we all know, the uh, the aesthetic of the Godfather movies are, are is just, you can sink your teeth into that. Right. But it, I think it also, it, it's a credit to not only the production design, but the set design. Just everything about this movie, uh, Pacula, has just, he knows exactly what he wants to do, and he achieves it. And this, this movie achieves something that a lot of those other movies don't, is that you, gen- you genuinely will get a sense of paranoia watching this movie. Well, you will with some of those other movies as well. But this is, this is I mean, in terms, <clears throat> in terms of Warren Beatty's performance and his character characterization through the script and through the text and the way he's directed, um, there, there's such a minimalist quality with his acting that uh, opens up interpretation from the viewer. And we were just discussing this earlier. Right. Um, we'll get into that more. Go ahead. So it, it deals with a journalist, and I have to say I like the the switch of a journalist to a police officer because we were discussing before we started um, this episode that 
to me, it, I, I don't know if it's just a storytelling facet or just the, the stereotypes. I would think that a journalist might be a little bit more inclined to dig a little bit deeper than a beat cop. I'm not sure if he was even a detective, if he was just a cop on the scene or what 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 his relationship to the first assassination was. He could have been doing security detail. But, right, sure, that would work, but, sure. Some something about instead of um, and not to not to uh, put down movies that are cop oriented with cops finding stuff. You were just talking about Serpico and how good that is, right? But something about being a journalist all of a sudden once again puts the viewer into the mind frame of mind frame of connecting the dots. Right. How can I suss out a good story from this? How Be- can I get to the root of this? Also, because this whole movie is about him trying to put together these pieces, and on like this is genuinely a very good mystery yeah and unfortunately if you're someone that likes everything tied up in a nice little bow at the end you're not going to get that you're not and that's that's what <laughs> makes it so 70s there were so many flicks in the 70s that did that uh, also i think uh, you know the end of this movie he is framed for political assassination it might be a little too high profile i don't th- also i don't think he would have been able to infiltrate the Parallax organization as he did if he was a police officer. He yeah. might be a little too high profile. Good point. Um, yeah. So him being a journalist, I think, is the perfect profession for someone like this. And uh, we're introduced to, unfortunately, Paul Prentice, who's a, an absolutely gorgeous and talented actress, who is only in the first 20 minutes of this movie. Which in- I didn't know. I mean, this was, this was my pick for a movie. I was like, let's do Stepford and then Parallax View, because they both have Paul Prentice, and I forgot that she dies yes. so quickly in it. But she is the catalyst for this investigation. That's right. That's so what her, sets him in yeah. motion. So the, her presence is felt throughout this, because they they were former... They were former lovers. Yep. Um, she's a reporter as well. You know, yep. She's a TV reporter. He's a, a, a newspaper Paper. reporter. Yep. And <coughs> it turns out <coughs> that w- the opening scene is this great assassination. And I, I don't I don't mean that killing someone is great, but I mean the shots. The way that it's framed, too, is that we're actually on the outside. As outside a, the Space Needle. And, we, and we, hear, we hear what's going on through... The window. We're, but we hear it through basically microphones and through telecasters. Right. right? Am I correct? Yeah. We're kind yeah. of like an audience member on the, out, on the outside of this press conference where he's talking about how he's the most independent candidate and how they don't know what party he's part of because he's the most independent candidate. So uh, he's he's uh, the prime target for a fascist organization to want to kill. And the assassination, we basically hear a gunshot, then we see this body... up against the glass, glass blood, blood against the glass, and then they're chasing. They're chasing. It turns out that there's two assassins, which is usually the case. What? Well, yes, I'm, I don't want to say two. <laughs> I need to. I need to tone it down. Go on. But I'm just. Well, it's not only just uh, has been the case theorized in many well-known assassinations, but is the case for the parallax view. Uh, uh, Beatty is sent on assignment with another person. And then when he's finally framed at the end, you know, he's he's there is another assassin, but he they make sure that he's in place to kind of take the fall for this, which is exactly what happens in this opening assassination. The one, one the one guy gets away. The other one, they're chasing around the top of the Space Needle, which I as someone that is issues with height. 
I'm not even going to say fear. I have issues with heights. Yeah. That is not a place I want to be. Ooh, and they filmed that so well. They're on the rooftop, and he... He, he falls off. He, he rolls off. Yeah. Woo! They're up there, too. Yeah. It's not It's not green screen or anything No. Like that. So, I mean, and again, it, the opening the opening of this movie, and we just watched an interview with Pacula, who was talking about... Um, how signs and symbols don't mean anything. It's it, the signs and symbols themselves don't mean anything. It's the meaning behind them. Right. And if we start the opening shot of this is a, a Native American totem pole. Right. Which the, you said is it? Is I, used act- to, I used to live in Seattle, so yeah, that's a main uh, the, a main landmark in downtown Seattle is the in, the American Indian totem pole. And then we pan over to the new totem pole, yeah. which. Basically, was built to see how how tall can we build. Yeah, and what and and once again, living there, you can't be anywhere in Seattle without seeing the space without needle. seeing the space needle. And it's surreal. It's weird I, to I, see I, that all the I time. I would imagine. And mm-hmm. now, I, I there's the revolving restaurant. So right, if you want right, to go right. and eat dinner there, I think maybe during the movie that was the case. As I wouldn't well. be surprised. Yeah. You know, that's 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 the place you want to take a date to impress them to yeah. the top of the space needle, right? Uh-huh. So we have Warren Beatty, who's um. Who starts investigating, and um, we see, we never get a face to the enemy, which is great, because it's not just one face. If they just said that so-and-so was pulling the strings, we actually see this this lineup. It's almost like the Supreme Court judges across right. it, but it's not this, it's these people that basically, when a situation like this happens... They clean up the mess. They clean up the mess. For and, a press conference, uh purposes and you know the old and they're very they're very decisive about everything they say right this is not a conspiracy those people need to be silenced this is what happened this, this is, is who the did appro- it official right. story this is the official story and they right. say that yeah. history is written by the winners <laughs> which is just just so <laughs> apropos of this movie because basically they're saying you know you can you can theorize all you want the official statement and by official, they mean the government's official statement on this matter. Yep, is this is what happened? Mm-hmm. So this politician was assassinated. This is, was the assassin. He was killed on sight. He was he was he was a lone he operator was a, again, and, right. and very unstable. Um, I mean, today they would say he was off his meds. Yeah, right. You know, he was an incel. Kind of you know, he was rambling on social media incoherently right. about all this kind of nonsense. Right, but so. We're given the these, and we 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 slowly pan away from this this um, table of of judges that are dictating what exactly happened. And it's once again, it's very cinematic. It's like the line of the line the lineup of them sitting at this huge table slowly gets bigger and bigger on the screen. It's like coming. It's it's like a. It's almost like a, the camera's getting closer and closer on them. I don't know which they did, if the camera actually got closer or if they just enlarged it coming towards the screen. Yeah. But uh, it's menacing. It's like a Twilight Zone episode. It reminds me a little bit. I, I want to say that there's a, a panel of people like this, of men like this, uh, in Network at, at some stage, but I could be wrong. Uh, Network is another movie, of course, that touches upon I'm mad as hell, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not going to take, take it, it anymore. anymore. Yeah. Uh, I don't recall that, but I get what you're saying. There I'm, is a scene with Warren Beatty. Okay. Uh, not Warren Beatty, Ned Beatty. Ned excuse Beatty. me, where Ned Beatty is talking to Peter Finch saying, what do you think you're doing? This is what you're up against. Uh, you know, company, organizations, government, we're all linked together, and this is a machine, and you cannot disrupt that machine. Right. 
Right. And and he 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 meets his own demise as well in that movie. So very similar so in that regard. Again, uh, the way that this movie is shot there, and if you're a keen observer of, of of good cinematography like like we are, and we notice these sorts of things, there are strikingly little close-ups in this movie. It is most of it is a long shot. It's a long shot. Yeah. Which and actually is a which is actually a metaphor for his his journey in this in this movie. I mean, it's a long shot that he's g- gonna make it. He's gonna survive this with answers that he that he wants. Right. It it really st- struck me. And there's this scene where he's talking to his editor, and instead of being like inside the office with Played by the, Hume Crone. Right. Yep. Go ahead. Instead of being inside the office with them and kind of maybe panning back and forth, the entire thing is a long shot. We're actually outside the office. Right. We're like in the outer office right. watching. And it gives you a very voyeuristic feel. Yes. And that's that was exactly the uh, what Pacula had in mind. He wanted you to go on this journey with Beatty, but you're not with Warren Beatty. You're kind of like... You're a third-party observer. We talked about... You might be spying on Warren Beatty, spying on everybody else. We talked about w- with Duel, the way that it's filmed, that you're in the car. Right. With, and I, the actor's name is... Dennis Weaver. Thank you. Yeah. You're with him the entire time. Right. Here, you're with Warren Beatty or... But from a distance. From a distance. Mm-hmm. You're, not, you're not put in because you're supposed to have the same sense of confusion... As he has, because he's infiltrating, and he starts un, un, unra, uh, unwrapping all these different layers of the onion, mm-hmm. and it goes into mm-hmm. small town sheriffs mm-hmm. that are involved, mm-hmm. the, the local the local police, mm-hmm. and then we find out that there's this this huge um, corporation, the mm-hmm. Parallax Corporation, and we find out that the Parallax Corporation's mission is to seek out and train assassins. Right. Yes. And he finds so through the course of the investigation, he goes to um, this small town in Washington, and they they're talking about how one of the people involved died when the the died when the dam was opened and all this water washed through. And it's a very telling scene because th- he's like, well, was was there going to be any warning that the dam was going to open? And he finds out that there's someone that patrols there. And then you get the obnoxiously loud siren yeah. that even a deaf person would have to go at yeah. least. It's like blaringly loud that and, 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 you know, unless you were deaf. But even if you were, you could see the dam opening. So it's kind of like, okay, there's no way that this guy died by accident. And then this is when the attempts start on his life. The sheriff tries to straight up kill him. Because because basically uh, many people who have witnessed the initial assassination at the beginning die. Are mysteriously dying. Yeah, suicided, as I like to say. Suicided, yes. um, Or... Uh, you know, death by other means that are explained, you know, through the through the press. Yeah, he was uh, he was happened to be on the wrong side of the dam. Right. W- what are the odds? Yeah. Right. Uh, and then we we made another person involved who um, he's on a boat with him, and the boat straight up explodes. Right. That's William Daniels, who I love. He uh, started out on Broadway in the musical nineteen uh, excuse me seventeen seventy six. He plays John Adams. 
reprised the role in the movie, and it's so interesting to see him in something like this. And who does he play? Is he a senator? I forget. I think that he was an aide, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. His his character's name is Austin Tucker, but that doesn't really lend much insight no. into what we're trying to figure but, out. But I mean, it's but more he's on the list, and Beatty, I think, maybe knows that or doesn't know that. But he's very, very paranoid himself. Right. Yeah. He he basically offers him ten thousand dollars. Go away. Write your article. Just do not mention my name. Yeah. I have nothing to do with this. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to even see you. Yeah. Why are you here? Yeah. Leave um, me alone. My life is in danger. And it is. It is. Yeah. Um. And but it's through these two actions, and then at the at the sheriff's house after he's escaped the sheriff trying to kill him, the sheriff in in, in fact in, ends up being drowned himself. Um, yeah, Beatty is able to nip that in the bud, right? Like before he, he, he gets shot. That's where escape. he finds um, the parallax um, questionnaire, kind of like oh right in yeah. his home, right? Yeah, Doesn't it's he in the sheriff's home after he's, he, he tries to be. Suicided or killed, right? Um, he goes to his home. That's the first stop he makes, isn't it? Yes, into his home, and finds that that questionnaire. Finds this questionnaire, the assassin questionnaire. Uh, before we go further, I have to mention that there is a great bar fight oh, that happens when he first shows up into town. So well done, the, and it goes on much longer than bar fights go on. But it's it goes it's so good. It almost goes on comically long, but yeah. it's not. These people are. It's not like a Steven Seagal bar fight where one of these stunts would have put a man out for good. This is like two guys brawling. Yeah. Um, and then there's and one part. They are crashing through windows and stuff, and but it's, you know, uh, it's like knocking it, tables. Yeah. Down. It's all the it's all the uh, cliche bar brawl. It's very type of choreographed, antics, but it's really well done. Yeah. Um, it almost goes on too long, but the end where the guy comes through back through the window yeah. <laughs> to fight Warren Beatty is just just classic. Um, well, so, I think it's the other way around. Isn't Beatty the one who finally uh, jumps through the window and gets him? Was it? I thought it was the deputy that comes back through, and then Beatty, because Beatty's, uh, I I'm not sure. Well, the, it's just the, a great the, bar fight. Yeah, it's the just, listener will be the viewer to find out. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, it, the bar fight's one of one of the best bar fights I've ever seen. It's it's simultaneously cartoonish but very realistic. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like two guys that really just want to duke it out. Although mm-hmm. Warren Beatty is not the instigator. Um, no. He's got his machismo um, threatened. Threatened because, because he, he orders it. What is the milk. deal about order? Yeah, what's the deal about ordering a glass of milk in a bar? Is that asking for a fight? Are no. You asked? Because in Victor Victoria, that's what James Garner does when he wants to st- when his when his masculinity is threatened. He goes to a bar and orders milk to start a bar fight. He wants to have a bar fight. If I'm not mistaken, there is some dialogue between him and his editor about him being on the wagon. Oh right. So sure. I, th- I but so I, mean, I think a glass of milk still. Like something about that. Well, I don't know. You could order a Sprite. Well, or I was going to say up. the only thing that would have been worse if he is if he ordered a Shirley Temple <laughs> with, with double cherries. <laughs> now that would that would be asking for it. Because I did that once with a group of friends, and I, that was not met kindly. They were no. like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> we don't know this person. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone else is ordering seven and seven. You're like, "I'll have a shit." Yes, Shirley Temple, please. <laughs> Uh, it's just a short story. I, I, I remember growing up as a kid, that was my, like, there were one time a year, usually for birthday, a couple times a year, we go to a hibachi restaurant where right. they cook right in front of you. Yeah, I love those. But 
there, that was the first time, and probably the only time that I've ever had a Shirley Temple. Okay, but I you, was you weren't you were a kid, you couldn't. Oh, I was yeah, probably sure. not. I wasn't even a teenager, so you know. I, I remember having a sip of my mother's Bloody Mary and being scarred from that. Like it, the, it burned, it burned right through me. All that uh, Tabasco, you yeah. know, and horseradish. Anyway. So enough about uh, mixed drinks. <laughs> um, so he finds this great, uh, well, not great, but he finds this um, this pamphlet that is basically, it's a way, it's a, like a recruitment pamphlet. Right. Um, right. Now, he does something very smart, and it could have very easily been, uh, you could have easily written that he kind of winged it and guessed the right answers to put down for something like this but he brings it to either a psychologist or a sociologist I want to say it's a sociologist who looks over the pamphlet and then he sent you know he kind of says well it looks like they're they're looking for certain answers here mm-hmm. the way that these questions are mm-hmm. the number of questions the way they're grouped together um, and what Beatty asked, well, could it be asked, are you looking, could this be looking for someone that has is prone to violence or a very aggressive person? Mm-hmm. And he goes, absolutely. And, he go, and then so he's asking me, he goes, if I wanted to get in, if I wanted to get their attention, what would I answer? And the guy's like, mm, I don't know. And they just so happen that th- this, this, the, this laboratory, they're working with this guy who, um, is a sociopath. This he killed his own mother. Killed his own mother. I think he threw her, threw her, threw threw her down a flight of stairs oof. on purpose. Oof, oof. Um, okay. So they're like, we're gonna, we'll have him do it. Yeah, and it and works. It works in spades. It works before before Beatty knows it. He's being recruited uh, by this other really good character actor who is the representative for the Parallax. Uh, because as someone that has studied psychology and a little bit of sociology, these types of questionnaires are also, not only are they looking for the right candidates, but they are also, they also know the answers of someone that might be trying too hard. Sure. So, I mean, again, I think that the credit to the screenplay is just brilliant, is the fact that instead of him doing it himself or even having his scientist friend do it, they said, let's get a real sociopath. A real deal. Let's get someone to, like, yeah. you know. So that's just a little, I mean, this movie just has little strokes of genius in it, mm-hmm. and that's one of them. And the screenplay, again, they talk about... Um, how much they worked on the screenplay together, and Pacula talks about how much he workshopped and rehearsed with his his act his actors pretty much like you would as, a, as, as in a, a play theater, sure, right, yeah. Um, so there's just so much, and then he's brought into the Parallax um, Corporation, and then we're given um, one of the most memorable scenes of the movie. And one of the most memorable scenes in, in movies uh, in general, uh, it, if even if you don't really know about the parallax view, um, there is a chance that you've uh, seen this montage that they show their prospective uh, assassins on YouTube or, or at least heard about it because it's 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 amazingly it's amazingly done and it's and and Pacula goes into detail in the interview that we listened to right how he talks about the uh, the mother the father and then me and how I am influenced by my mother by my father and it starts out very positive um, and then it turns very twisted right they talk about the nice caring parents and then your your hopes and dreams and there's a 
um, he says Superman, but actually the the comic book character that they used is Thor. I thought so. Was actually a, a god. Um, Marvel somehow yeah. now owns a what? Greek god. And now we've got all the Thor franchise, right. you know, movies. So this was before, this was the old school, I recognize it as the old school comic book Thor. Yeah. Um, and that's I, what it's shown as. It's the only comic strip that's shown in the right. Montage. The rest is real people. But I mean, of all the superheroes, either Thor. I, either that or the only one that I could think of that would be more iconic would have been Superman. And I wonder if that's just. Or even, uh, I don't know, Captain America. <laughs> well, they don't want. No, because I don't think Captain America would kill a politician. Oh, right. Right. No. Right. Yeah, right no. Right, you, right. you want something. You. Imagine that actually you want to be you know, a, a something more so at, maybe actually more so than Superman. Imagine being a god. Yeah, and that's kind of what this this montage is. It sh- it start like you said. It starts out very nice, very wholesome, and then these images start to conflate with each other, mm-hmm. and they get you start mixing sex and violence mm-hmm. a lot, which mm-hmm. is I mean, and they're they're looking for a reaction here. I would argue that the only thing that is more iconic as sort of a very similar scene is the clockwork orange montage seems to be a bit more remembered and talked about but I think that that has to do with the fact that we don't see any of Warren Beatty's reactions no through this the clockwork orange we're going back and forth between Malcolm McDowell in what he's watching, and the hor- first of all, Malcolm Mc- Warren Beatty's sitting very comfortably, two arms. You know, he's mm-hmm. not restrained. Malcolm McDowell's in a straight jacket. His eyes are pried open. Mm-hmm. There's a guy that's putting drops in drops his in his eyes because his that. eyes will dry out. It's funny. I remember that, but I don't remember what he's watching. That that image is so uh, iconic. I hate that word. Uh, with with Malcolm McDowell being forced to Be- watch well, this, I think it's much it's much more about his reaction, and it's than also the actual montage than the actual montage itself. It's very violent, you know, graphic images of crime and violence, but also the whole thing with um, the Clockwork Orange is that they're they're playing Beethoven, I believe. Yeah. And, and if you've seen a Clockwork Orange, you know that. Um, he loves Beethoven. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's it's really doing a mind. It's really on doing him. a mind. So yeah, that's much yeah. that that scene is much more about reprogramming someone. This this montage is more about what is your reaction to what we just saw showed you. Right, and we talk we've just talked about this how he doesn't have much of a reaction. No. and that might have been the point where they are thinking something might be up with him. Right, you know. Well, I think. And I'm just putting this together because they now. They figure him out in the end. So I'm thinking. And they trap him. They set him up. This, I'm just putting this together now. So yeah. I don't know how much feet it has to walk. But my theory is this was the point where his reaction is very subdued, and very kind of nonchalant, where they said, "Okay, this guy is not the assassin we want." This guy is the patsy that we want oh, to cover up the assassin. Wow. Because they're yeah. operating on such a higher level. Yeah. They're playing. And there's many minds at work here right. against him. So one person. I can imagine this committee saying, no, you know, we're, his scores were good on paper, but look at the way he reacted. Uh-huh. But. That's the kind of person that we need to take the fall for this. Uh-huh. So that's my theory. I, th- I think you might be onto something there. So, um, 
and then it all leads up to um, another political assassination. Um, we think it's going to take place on an airplane. Um, right. Right. He dips that in the bud, though. He stops that from happening. Yes. He gets the plane to turn around and land, and everybody vacates the plane. Right. And then the bomb goes off. It's in That's in the suitcase that he saw being put on board. Right. He sees the suitcase being put on board. But another, just another glimmer of genius is that when he's first thinking about how he needs... Once he realizes... He's in the plane knowing... I mean, I, I said well, no, when it, we were watching it, I was like, he know, does he know that that suitcase might be a bomb? He does, but it's not until he... Re- I, he, does, he knows something suspicious, but it's not until he realizes there's this politician on the plane. That's right. That he, he puts it together. Cements it, but and but, he's and he's freaking out. But you right. don't see it. He is so cool. I know this is what you wanted to explain. So go ahead. So no, but the, a, that's an incredible scene. Yes, but the stroke of genius is that he he's trying to figure. I need to get someone's attention, but I don't. How am I going to do this? And his first thought is, I'll just write it on soap in the mirror. Yeah. But then he's going to leave the bathroom. And There's somebody right there, and he's who's like, gonna, who's going to be him. like, uh, yeah, the guy that was just in the bathroom. Yeah. Has a bomb on the plane, so he immediately. So, like, that's just another stroke of genius that this amps up the tension and oh, the yeah. anxiety. Yeah. And then his plan is he writes it on a, a napkin, but he's able. And then the the drink cart is coming through yep. the airplane, and he slips it into the stack of napkins. So no but one will know who wrote it. Yeah. So we're not. And the flight attendant sees it, and she goes directly to the pilot. And she has no idea because, and she doesn't know that the, she. The, she just served half a dozen people, and mm-hmm. now this napkin shows up. So mm-hmm. She has no idea. Mm-hmm. The plane gets turned around. Mm-hmm. That assassination thing is stopped, and then we because go because of him. Right. Which I'm sure. I'm sure the the powers that be within the you know within the Parallax Corporation are just like, oh no, he didn't. Oh no, he didn't. That oh, was, yeah. do you think they knew that it was him? Oh yeah. Okay. Because well, because he stops the other guy. Remember, he calls the other guy and says, "You, you got to go to Hawaii instead. It's been called off, and the, all this money is going to be waiting for you in Hawaii." That's right. So That's right. yeah, they know that he's now. Now he's the fly in the ointment, mm-hmm. and he probably could have walked away from it, but instead he starts shadowing the people of the parallax, mm-hmm. which leads to. I mean, it's there's it, a sense of foolishness about it. You know, there's a sense of like, you know, what would I do? Would I take? Yeah, how far would you take it? And and then again, how much how much trust do you put into our protagonist and and our hero here? Is he going to succeed? It's a big question mark. Because so far he has succeeded, but then he's got he's just got he's got that investigative journalist itch that he has just got to go one step further. Right, and he starts following the people of Parallax, and it leads to this beautiful beautiful long shot of this which some people i'm sure would find very boring of basically it's a shot of this huge lobby with an escalator and you see the parallax guy go up the escalator Mm -hmm. and then like 30 minutes 30 seconds to a minute later you see Beatty Beatty following him Mm -hmm. and it it, to me it's a beautiful shot Mm -hmm. it's very good at building this tension Mm -hmm. um you could have easily have you know other directors probably would have cut Right, right, right. But this allows space, it allows it to and time, and allows to, to breathe, and exactly, allows and to kind of like you know, let the marbles kick around in your brain a little. Right, bit. it allows mm-hmm. you because you you you're, you're not given spoon fed. No, you're not. It gives you this up. Like we've had all this tension and anxiety, and like he just narrowly saved not only this politician but an entire plane full of people. Right. 
Um, right. So, like, you're given... It's a great breather because the 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 final act of this movie is nothing but tension. Oof. Simultaneously, we've got this huge convention center. Mm-hmm. And they're setting up for this new this this politician's big rally. Um, we see the we see um, the golf carts that are scurrying the politician around. Mm-hmm. We get to see all and it's like where are they? They're in an auditorium. It's a conve- but it It's got to be, be a convention center. Yeah, yeah, but it has the feel of an hall. airplane hangar. Right. It's that it's that big. it's that big. Uh huh. But it's, and you're up in the beams a lot, looking down. Right. Where he is. Right. Yeah. Um, so simultaneously, we get a rehearsal for this rally, and we see uh, hundreds of red, white, and blue tables for all these constituents yes. that are going to be there. And we see the marching band rehearsing, and we see people that have these signs that on one side are the red, white, and blue, and then when they flip it over, it's the face of the politician. Yep. So there's there's all this going on, but simultaneously, we're cutting back to Warren Beatty up like in the rafters, trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, the doors and have been he, locked. He yes, and there are other men. There are other men, guards, right. supposedly. And the brilliance of this movie is that you think it's this, okay. This is a nice setup, and there's going to be an assassination attempt at the rally, like later today. Yeah. No. It happens the ass- at the rehearsal, and you said that that was a decision that was deliberately made. During production, yes. by Pacula himself, yes, he saw how it all looked vacant, and he said it looked ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it because it does. Mm-hmm. If you, if you've ever been to a rally like this, I mean, you, there's hundreds of people. There's food. There's waiters. Yep. Th- everyone's chit chatting. Yep. No, we get this. drinking. We yes, yep. lots of booze, yep. lots of free booze. Yep. To, you know. Yep. To, Cause that'll loosen up the wallet. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. loosen up everything. Loosen yeah. up, yeah. That'll loosen up the tongue. Loosen up the wallet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so then the fact that it's all staged at a rehearsal in this huge empty thing, I it's and and he's set up because like you said the doors are all locked. There's the the second and he the sees second the gun the gun he meant, sees the he gun sees that's the, meant to right. be used that meant that's meant to be associated with him right. Mm-hmm. And um, the rehear- I love this politician because he is such, and they. I don't want to stereotype the Midwest, but he feels like a Midwestern Texas good old boy yeah, politician. He does. This guy won't big even- brawny, <coughs> silver hair, you know. Yeah, go on. Won't even give his rehearsal speech. It is a pre-recorded <laughs> tape, and he's smoking a cigarette. Doing golf swings while this... <laughs> so he gets to do whatever he wants while his speech is being played. And then meanwhile, when the when it's appropriate, when there's a, a, a pause in his speech, every, uh, the, the, the band and all the people there in the grandstands have to clap for him. Right. And, there, and it's actually, and there's a moment where it's synchronized with him doing the golf swing. Yes. And they're applauding, but they're not applauding his no. golf swing, but it looks like they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But the fact that they decided to do the final assassination in a rehearsal, it subverts, right. it, it, it's it's the perfect last, I don't want to say it's a trick, but it's the last little, 
it's that last twist. little twist that the, the director has mm-hmm. that like you were expecting because the first we see and the usually, first I mean that's how assassinations happen they want everyone to see right they want lots and lots of witnesses now so it is it is going against that again to re- do it during the rehearsal I mean there are the people at the rehearsal of course but there's not nearly the numbers no. you're gonna have no and then you think about it the, the original novel was based on the JFK assassination which happened in a parade right. And um, it it's also has, um, and there are lots. There is a parade that opens opens the movie, right? A paralyzed get, view, and that's that's. And the, there's even a parade in the in the rehearsal scene. At oh the yeah, end. Well, so we've, we've got, got, a got the, the we've got the marching got band, parade, marching band. Yeah, it's very interesting. The score is very patriotic, but I, it, intentionally. But it's also not only is it orchestrated, but there's also. A lot of marching band. Yeah. Because if you think about Fourth of July parades and just parades in general, there's always marching bands from different. Yeah. And they're always playing. Da, 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 yep. Hail to the chief and all this kind of nonsense. Yep. You yep. know. Didn't Fleetwood Mac do a whole album with a marching band? They did. Did I they? Tusk or something like that. Yeah. Well, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I hear, I hear it's pretty kick-ass. Okay. All right, all right. But so go on. Um, I'm loving that you're so into this. <laughs> There's, because I was just on a podcast the other day talking about this movie Sicario, and I was just talking about how much that I don't like political thrillers that are too on the nose. I don't like that because there seems to be an agenda that's being pushed ah. by the filmmakers. I don't, ah. I don't like that. Interesting. This okay. movie, this movie's agenda is very anti-authoritarian. And it puts you in this place of not knowing who the enemy is. We had another movie that was similar to this um, in that respect. Uh, and then not, not knowing where you fit in. Right. There's a, there's, there's a detachment. There is a sense of isolation um, that when you... I'm just going to say it. When you know too much, um, you are not part of the crowd anymore. No. You're just not. And nope. Baby is experiencing this very, very much. And he's rolling with it. He doesn't even seem to mind or care. He seems to be kind of a loner anyway. Right. Uh, you so, know. But that's, it's very definite. It's just like, and it's, and it's, there's a whole, even though the booklet says there's hope in the movie, there's a, I think there's a hopelessness in the movie. It's just like, I, oh no. I had to disagree with that as well. I don't think, because... This movie, the hero doesn't win. No. The hero is killed, and we never know who exactly. did it. Nope. Yeah, we don't see the real faces. And the, I like that reality. And again, I, it kind of synced up perfectly with... I was telling you about... Because you hadn't seen Sicario, and for those of you who haven't, it deals with a, a covert government operation battling the Mexican cartel on the U.S.-Mexican border. Okay, starring Emily Blunt. Starring Emily Blunt, Benicio Del Toro, who absolutely owns the movie, and then Josh Brolin, who we find out is part of the CIA the whole time. And for those of you who don't know, um, maybe we'll say it in unison, the CIA cannot operate... (laughs) I, I, I and, don't remember and, it. The CIA cannot <laughs> operate domestically unless a domestic party is working with them in conjunction. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's what they profess. Yes. Yes. And the vagueness of this whole operation is all put on Emily Blunt. She's an FBI agent. The only reason she's part of the operation is that because Josh Brolin, as being part of the CIA, needs to have the FBI 
uh, to co-write his um, his nonsense. So isn't it funny how it all works together? And it's, it's very intricate. And 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 again, there's there's a very sense of hopelessness at the end of Sicario, where she is forced at gunpoint to to sign a piece of paper saying that everything was above board. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. again, keep it official. I, but yes, and it's kind of boiled down to we we might have stopped one cartel member. There are six people bite chomping at the bit to to rise up, mm-hmm. and that's kind of like what the parallax the parallax corporation it, ties in. They're like, we might have gotten one politician, but there's there are think about it. We've got fifty states, we've got senators, yeah. we've got all these council people that are yeah. just waiting to rise up through the ranks. Yeah, and if, and you hear about you hear about politicians well not only being assassinated but going down in planes. Yep. It does happen. I remember during the Clinton administration, I think it was Ron Brown who went down in a plane. Even back in the early 90s, I was suspect about that. Sure. Suspicious about that. You got people like uh, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. Sure. Um, Sure, sure, sure. So this is just... That was a whole time of assassinations. Right. We had... I think You mentioned Robert Kennedy. Robert Kennedy. Right, in the late 60s. 68, I believe. Yeah, I think you're right with that. Uh, And then in the early 70s, there were a lot of musicians who... uh, died, you know, you know, reportedly from drug overdoses, but they could have been uh, choked on unru- the They could have th- been rocking the culture too much. Jimi yeah. Hendrix, Joplin. Morrison. Yeah. Morrison, Morrison that's right. Very mysterious yep. over in Paris. So, yep. even, I mean, even Mama Cass, like that whole choking on a sandwich thing, well, th- plus very probably didn't wh- happen. What was uh, uh, that, that plane crash that killed the Big Bopper, Richie Valens? Oh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, but I don't know if he could have been onto something. I mean, that you could keep going and going. Patsy sure. Klein died in a plane crash, but I don't know if she was uncovering, you know, espionage. That's true. Through the American yeah. government, who knows? I mean, and that, that's when you what, get to be a celebrity, you start learning things. Right. I'm surprised celebrities don't know the things that I, I know, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> you know, some of them probably do. Yeah, probably. And they probably and don't, don't say. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah. So this movie is so. It's just a great. It's a great conversation starter for people that don't. Um, if you could or could not tell, Andrew is more of the buys into more of the conspiracies than I do. Yeah. I have my own thoughts, um, so we won't even get into. It. We we could have a whole debate, but a I, whole podcast on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do believe that if you if you're going on blind faith on what your politician tells you. Don't. Well, I mean, you're always. You, the thing is, even without understanding conspiracies at all, or just how the network operates, um, you're always going to be disappointed. The politician is going to do the opposite of what he or she told you earlier. They're going to you be know, sell, it's they, happen. they sell you one thing on the campaign trail, and then then they force you ball with the big boys, and then they force you to eat a shit sandwich once they're in office. <laughs> right. Right. And I, to me, the biggest the biggest thing that I ever realized where. It, it's a, this is an odd um, sidetrack, but the biggest I started, I went down the Scientology uh, rabbit hole, and really? after watching all these documentaries and these interviews with people that were engrossed into this organization, I refuse to call it a religion. It That's is. That's just me. I know that it is classified as a religion. So what do you call it instead? Do you have a term for it? A cult? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say it. It's a straight-up cult. Um, uh, it's a big-ass cult. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
if if and the thing that struck me the most is that yes, if you go to one of these Scientology uh, complexes, um, there are walls. There is barbed wire. Uh, the to barbed keep, wire. It's not to yeah, keep people no. from coming in. It's yes. to keep people from leaving. The barbed wire is pointed Southern in, California. so you cannot leave. Mm-hmm. Let that sink I mean, into you. Yeah, in Hollywood, there's basically a castle that is the home for Scientology. Then there's also a building on Hollywood Boulevard that is owned the, by the Scientology. And then there's the Celebrity they, Center. The Celebrity Center. I don't even know about the Celebrity oh, Center. Oh, that, that's... But, but what I was getting at, that there, there's, it's reported that there are tunnels under oh, right. that, that link these buildings if, together. So probably the Celebrity oh, Center yeah. as well. And if you really want to get into it, um, the way that uh, they became tax-exempt is highly questionable. Oh, Sure. Um, well, there was the, lots I mean, of if you're tedious. operating under a religion, then you get all sorts of exemptions. Right. Yeah. Um, but back to the parallax view. I'm not even sure how we got here. It's I, okay. I think it's, it's, it's all, all relevant. Believe well, it or I was going to say, it is, not listeners, this is all it, it's, relevant. It's all part of this web. Yeah. And um, there, are ver- there, there are lots of people that could take things at face value and simply just want to go on with their lives. They don't really care about the really dirty stuff that's going on. And people will say that. They'll be like, I, that's not me. It's not my life. Right. I need to live my life. I understand that. I until, do. Until it affects them personally. Ah, uh, yes. And, and therein lies the rub. And therein lies exactly Paul Apprentice's role in the Parallax view. Right. He would never have gotten involved in this. Right. But the fact that they were... And she, and she, she, she is enraged by his uh, non-plusedness. She says, you are such a bastard. Or she says, you are, she says something. She, you don't even care. Right. You don't even care. My life is in danger. That's you don't right. even and care. He and he doesn't see it. He doesn't see it. And the next shot we see is her in the morgue. Right. And him visiting her in the morgue. Yep. Her corpse. So it's such a... Just, I mean, again, I don't know if it was the oversaturation of the market. If people... I, again, this movie, to certain people, will seem slow. To me, oh, but I, that's the joy of it. It see, really is. To let's, me, like, let's scare Jessica to death. I just right. love sitting. I mean, I got nothing better to do than watch this movie for the next two hours. So fine, but do I, it at your own pace. I don't need. I don't need the MTV. No, editing. and I, I. I don't need to be. And I love that this movie. It feels very much. And it, it, there's no surprise to me that it's based on a novel because it's paced like a novel where it's given time to breathe. And I know that we've all read a novel where. Well, Day of the Jackal, I remember, but was like that. But, yeah. I'm, but I'm just thinking about a novel. You're like, well, I don't really understand what that... What did that chapter... Like, chapter four, they should have just gone from three to five. Why is chapter four there? Oh, no, but no, it no, all no. ties back does, once, you've, right. once you've completed the novel. And I love that about this movie, is that it's perfectly bookended by these two scenes of this two council. Two assassinations, yeah. We got the two assassinations, and then we get the two... Um, I'm just going to say directives by this council that has determined this. Oh, yeah. This is what we're going to... This is how history... It's basically, this is how you're going to report on this situation. This is how history... It's and not even so much how... people will think forever. Well, and again, we were saying history is written by the winners. Mm-hmm. When, when someone 20 years down the line goes back about this assassination, this is the blurb in the encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get any of the conspiracy theories. It was the lone gunman... You know, mm-hmm. again, lone, mm-hmm. not tied in with any sort of political organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in the case of Warren Beatty, it was this journalist who was had, into conspiracies. Right, I think they say that 
Yeah, who took it too far. Who probably killed his editor in chief? We forgot oh, to right, mention that. Right, right, right. I'm sure he's going to get framed. Way. Oh yeah, he's going to get framed for that. Mm-hmm. So there's so much mm-hmm. good. Like it's such a juicy movie. It really is. And it really is, and a lot of it is to be credited to Pacula. The way he makes movies. I've only seen a few of his movies, but boy, I I I know a good director when I see one, and he's he's terrific. And, and he's surrounded he really he's thorough, and, thorough. That's what I love about certain movies like this. It's thorough in the way that it's thought out. I told you that Hitchcock used to like sit with his screenwriters and like say, well, what about this? And what about that? Is that plausible? How about this? Yeah. You know, maybe this is more plausible than that. Really thinking it out. So the contract that you have as a viewer watching the movie does not get betrayed. Right. You know, your logic is, their logic is up to your speed in logic. And I think Pacula, like, he clearly he surrounds himself with talented people and yep. then he listens to their ideas it was one of the screenwriters in Warren Beatty's idea to change the character from a cop to a reporter and it's very funny what, um, who plays the editor in chief uh, Hume Cronin because he says a long career because there's an interview excellent. with him. he's terrific it's great seeing these people who are uh, old school actors yeah I mean almost you know uh, I don't want to say vaudeville, but like, you know, old black and white movies, probably a lot of summer stock theater, stuff like that. They've been around the block many times um, to see them in this type of movie yeah. where they're uh, really given a chance to act, really given a chance to act. He's the, the, the editor in chief that is not buying it. Yeah. He's like, I don't, I'm not well, fronting you any money. And then when he does start buying it, he's like, no, this is to, you're, you're getting dangerous. Well, he, th- I right? Th- Doesn't he say that to him at some point? We completely, everyone thinks that Warren Beatty's dead. I forgot. Right. Because they're reporting him as being dead. He's right. reported dead on the, bu- on the boat from explosion. The dam. No, from oh, the, the boat, boat explosion. explosion. That's right. There was, uh, they're reporting three bodies when there was only two. Warren yeah. Beatty survived. So they're. Why su- are they doing that? Because they would have only found two skeletons, really. I genuinely you know? think that they. Or was everything just no? I, I, gen- I genuinely think there's no way anybody survived this. Think about that. An oh, no one could be. You couldn't find corpses or remnants of enough remnants right. of corpses yeah. to establish three people. He could have been. I mean, this explosion was huge. Yeah. Who knows what the body was left in? And it, he's sitting on the front of the boat. That's the only reason why he survives. Right. He's not yeah. at the back of the boat with right. the other two guys. Right. So I mean, they're playing it off, but I think it's genius because um, the actor didn't know that his role was changed because he would have been the chief of police, but then he's changed to being the editor in chief. Yeah. But it's the same type of. It's the know, same type of role. Yeah. But, Same type of, um, but he made a joke about it. Spouts out too. He's like, he's like, yeah. Pacula got me on the phone like two days before we were starting shooting. He's <laughs> like, oh, by the way, most of the lines are good. Oh, no, then he's like, well, can I at least see the script right, now? Right, 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 right. <laughs> and he's like, I haven't even seen any pages. Can I see what I'm saying? So it's um, learning your lines the night before. So Pacula, for the first time, he strikes me as someone that not only he's open to not just. Improv with the characters, but improv with his sets yeah. and his script. Yeah, because I mean, he realized his mind with the with the final sequence from uh, you know the actual rally to the rehearsal. Right. I mean, he is. He's 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 letting it grow as he's filming. This is right. during production. Yeah. I mean, most most directors have it all tied up. Yeah. In a knot before production starts and po- in pre production. Here, he's actually. And that's, you know, that could be become very expensive 
we've heard about productions sure. where it gets out of hand, where but you know, actually, minds were being changed about very important details. Although in this case, this would probably be cheaper because he calls up, yeah, uh, Paramount and be like, "Oh, those we don't need all those people." I was gonna say those hundreds of extras yeah. can't cut them. Yeah. They're probably they were probably yeah, thrilled to woo, pieces to save some money. And I like that because I'm trying to think. Of the only one that really comes to mind is um, the Manchurian Candidate, where all of these assassinations are so high profile. They're always at very, well, the majority of them, the big assassinations are very high profile in the Manchurian Candidate, uh, mm-hmm. and with I, lots I'm, of witnesses, with lots of witnesses, mm-hmm. and to its, its slight detriment as a story, I. And again, I haven't seen the original. I'm only th- oh, the Denzel Washington. Yeah, I'm only which I like. I like people, it. People I think it's a, bash it, but I like no, it. No, it, it's I think it's it, good. Jonathan think, Demi. Jonathan Demi, uh-huh. uh, Leah Schreiber, and, and Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep yeah. does a terrific job. I mean, I think it's but, based on Hillary Clinton. That's been debated. Yeah, <laughs> but she's really good. There's she a is. scene actually where she's where she's gotten her son to assassinate John Voight. Right, and she's talking to. Um, you know the big wigs, and right. she's talking. And they've taken it outside. I'm sure there are no cell phones or anything around. And she's saying to them, "She's like, I did something. None of you people actually even do anything. Right. I actually did something." You know, she's no matter how wrong she is, she's going to defend it. Uh, but my my criticism is that it almost tells you too much about the Manchurian. Mm-hmm. Process mm-hmm. about the whole brainwashing and yeah. stuff. Yeah, like Clockwork Orange, it's more about mind control. Yes, it's more. So, but I like the not knowing. I think fits with a conspiracy type movie. You should be leaving the theater not knowing exactly. Like with with the Manchurian it's the Candidate. Same with Three Days of the Condor okay. with Robert Redford. You're following him around as he's figuring out. Okay. Both movies came out. Around the same time, right? And I think it was Sinatra's in the original Manchurian. Canadian. He is, yeah. He's the he's the assassin, yeah. Um, but you know exactly who's pulling the strings in terms of the Manchurian yeah. candidate. I like leaving the parallax view, and I know that there's people that are going to disagree. There's some people that need to know everything when the movie concludes, well, or they I mean, feel unsatisfied. Yeah, it's a matter of personal taste. Sure, there's really kind of no right or wrong, but that is one of the best things about Parallax View is that you don't know. You don't know. And that goes down to everything. You don't know what, what, what characters are going to do from one minute to the next. You really don't. No. And so you're you're forced to be in the moment. And, and that's the thing. And it's, like, it is, it's, it's, it's jarring. And, it's and again, anxiety. You know. Right. And in, in, stark, in stark comparison to the, the Manchurian candidate, Liev Schreiber kind of, if it wasn't for mind control, wouldn't be doing what he's doing. Oh, yeah, and you but see that you, torment in him. He acts that very well. But the moment you see Meryl Streep's true intentions, you know exactly how she's going to act throughout the rest of the movie, mm-hmm. which is not bad. And mm-hmm. if you like that, you like that. And her performance is is, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But to me, I like the not knowing certain movies i think not knowing would bother me something like the parallax view given that we're dealing with levels of the government that we don't even know actually exist or where they exist or mm-hmm. who's a part of them mm-hmm. covert covert yeah. covert covert within covert within right. covert yeah and it uh yeah yeah i agree and the, and uh so that leads that just leave like so when the movie's over to me, I, it felt very satisfying because it was very realistic. Our hero 
And that's the difference. That is what I was going to say, that the realism versus the theatricality of something like Maturian Candidate, right. especially in the remake. It's very right. theatrical. It is very theatrical, yeah. which works which works for it's that. It's a decision. Right, yeah. which works very well for that material. Yeah, but Pacula never really does that. No. He actually goes, I mean, even if he has his roots in the theater or if he has his development uh, similar to theatrical development, he still is very grounded in realism. He loves realism. He loves just kind of observing how uh, life operates, especially in America. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in this movie, it's the tagline is brilliant. It's American as apple pie. Ah! I just <laughs> love that tagline. Oh, that is, that really, that's a good one. That, Isn't that? Yeah, that cuts. It's just, um, yep. I mean, I have, I have so much to say, but at the same time, like, this movie... I think that if we over-talked it... Well, I don't mean to keep blowing smoke at you. Oh, it's fine. Um, I want to read out of this booklet the definition of parallax. Please, we to, yes, we need to please. Get there. Yes. So, what does parallax mean? It is a term that English speakers are perpetually learning and always forgetting. Leopold Bloom in Ulysses says, Parallax, I never exactly understood. Par, it's Greek, parallel, parallax. In the technical sense, the word refers to the changes in an object's apparent position depending on where you stand. Practically, it is the reason why, walking down the beach in parallel to a huge, quick-moving ship on the horizon, you can appear to keep pace with it, at least for a while. And that is what Warren Beatty's character is doing he's, throughout the movie. He's, he's keeping, running, yeah, he's he's keeping, running on that beach, keeping pace. With until, a huge ship. Yes. That's a great metaphor. Yeah. Because, yes, you've got the one man on the beach, and then you've got the massive machine that is just slowly... Yeah. yeah. Doesn't, yeah. It doesn't break for anyone because it's the biggest ship in the sea. Right. And, and he's it, probably running. He's probably really having to, like, you know, cut a sweat to keep, to keep up, up with this with thing it. that's just and, and at think, its own pace. And not floating. only that, the water, the ship is cutting through the water like uh, a, a warm knife through butter... And he's running in sand, and if anyone's ever run in sand, oh. not easy. Oh no! So, like, I love the the metaphor works on so like many different levels. Yeah, um, yeah. And then there's the whole thing with the quicksand. Like, what happens when you hit this patch of quicksand, yeah. and all of a sudden it starts pulling you yeah. down? Yeah. And we see that in the final. We see sequence. this, yes. As he's just running around, running around in the rafters yes. of that auditorium. No, no way out. No. Doors are locked. There are men around, but he's trying to dodge them. And he's he sees the gun that's going to be associated to him. And he realizes, I'm going to be the only person they find up here. Yeah. Before, there was th three or four other people running around. I'm the last man standing. The gun's up here. This politician is dead. I'm a, de I'm a dead man. They are, going to, they are going to shoot on sight. It's over. It's over. It's over. And um, I, I personally think that the tuba player in the band uh, is in on it because he's the one who says, look, it, he did it up there, you know, drawing attention to it. Let's create the narrative, the right. official narrative. And you, we get, and I think you're right because there he are... He doesn't even and, know how to play the tuba. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. The, guy, the conductor... What's he doing there? The conductor is constantly pointing... Yeah. At his little sheet music in yeah. front of him, like you do, you even like yeah, know why, how to play the tuba. Yeah, you've got like two notes per measure, and you can't get this right. But no, he was there because he's the person. Like you said, 
Gonna you call need, it out. You need that person. Mm-hmm. You need that uh, Zapruder film to be. Uh, <laughs> you need that to be recorded somehow. You need witnesses. Uh-huh. Um, so there's so much genius to uh-huh. go into it, and I know, just I, Warren Beatty had um, campaigned for not John F. Kennedy, but Robert Kennedy. Yes, he did. Yeah, and and, and I think that was kind of. And also in my research, Beatty was in a slump right now. Okay. Finan- not uh, with movies not doing so well. Okay. Uh, not that this really helped, but I mean... It, I mean, Shampoo would have been 75, I believe, so that's the next year, and that raised his star. Right. That was a big hit. And, then, and Shampoo is very political, too, what, actually. What year was Bonnie and Clyde? Bonnie and Clyde was late 60s. Late 60s, mm-hmm. okay. So, yeah, I, yeah, he might have hit a, like a creative slump after that, maybe. Well, or a creative high point, but a, but a box office slump. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, for um, just a, a great uh, political thriller, um, yeah. just I love the way that it's shot. I love these long long takes. I know you do. I do too. And I love I I love it so much. And for those of people that get bored and need the rapid editing, just take a minute. If you're watching on a big enough screen, a good director is choreographing so much within these these shots. The, or, where the camera sits still and yet you have so much going on screen. Right. So much going on on screen. So much choreography between the extras and the people, everybody. You know, just each shot is filled with right. motion, right? Basically, so right. even the camera isn't moving, but there's motion going on. And um, again, that's we got to give credit to the cinematography of Gordon Willis, who um, unfortunately was nominated several times for best cinematographer and never uh, won. He got never an honorary won, one, but he did get. Yeah. He ended up getting an honorary one. And um, and the uncredited screenwriter who who did a rewrite of the script also Robert worked on Town worked uh, best known for writing Chinatown. Wow, there you have and it. And then has written God movies up until re- recently, um, but he's best known for Chinatown. Um, I particularly like. A movie that he wrote and directed called uh, Tequila Sunrise. Oh yeah, sure, with Michelle Pfeiffer. That's a, that's a uh-huh. real fun movie. Uh, uh-huh. Robert Town's a great screenwriter. His directing needs a little bit of work, but his screenwriting's always on 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 par. Very um, good. And uh, again, Chinatown. And uh, uh, oddly enough, going back to Scientology, credited screenwriter for the first two Mission Impossible movies. Oh, that's interesting. So we've got De pa- him working with De Palma. Working we, with De Palma. And we talked with about Cruz. how it was taken out of De Palma's hands yeah. in the first movie. Yeah. And largely because of Tom Cruise's uh, producer ego. hat and ego. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, whereas Pacula, uh, there was a there's a very interesting comment. I mean, he talks about ego. And yeah. he talks about his own ego, but also the ego of the people that he's working with. And, and, he's, he, doesn't and wanna... he doesn't he doesn't single out the actors. He talks about the crew as well. Right. The, their egos and how it's important to keep those egos running at a productive, right. productive level. He so might... not out of control. No. But have ego going on because the ego can manifest good pieces of work. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He knows how to he knows how to run a tight camp. Because mm-hmm. he knows that the people that he he trusts the people that he's working with to the point to the fact to, where he will take a suggestion. He, uh, he might not always take the suggestion, but he will at least listen. Right. He's willing to take the time to listen and not a, a lot of directors will be like, "Oh, you're the key grip. 
I don't need your suggestion. Who right. the hell are you? Right, right, right. Whereas someone like Pacula is kind of like, all, all hands on deck, I'm willing to listen, and if it's a good enough idea, I'll use it. And he says that if it's a lousy idea, not to make them feel lousy yeah. about their idea. No. Which is also very important. Right. You know, and everybody's I, in it together. Yeah, and you get that, I mean, that's that's kind of like what this movie is. It's working on a great script with yeah. a great director, with a great cast, with yeah. an excellent cinematographer, yeah. with just beautiful. And I love these seventies, the seventies fashion oh, and I the seventies decor. I mean, Beatty's wearing some pretty righteous outfits, and his hair looks pretty rocking too. Yeah. You got to admit. I mean, he's supposed to be totally, you know, a nobody. Uh, disheveled, uh, scrappy person. But right. I mean, he's he's sporting some pretty high fashion, in my opinion. Yeah. But it works. It, it works. It's not distracting. And some of the architecture, especially in the Parallax Corporation, the, like the receptionist, like she's in this, she's got this big white wall with this like very small rectangle, and he's got to like hunch over to look, and like he's like looking for someone. She's like, "Well, he's not here right now." And it just, it's just like so many bizarre things that are just so seventies that I just kind of big Mussolini esque type of architecture. Also, oh, yeah. you know, you know, serving as a metaphor for this uh, this big mach- world of you know the network machine that he's operating that he's that he's trying to navigate himself in. Yeah, and you do you see a, a lot of him being a small little figure up against these big pieces of architecture, right. set pieces. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I mean, this movie is just, there's layers upon layers, there's mm-hmm. there's metaphors, there's, there's symbolism, but again, the sign of a good movie is that two film nerds like us could sit down and dissect this movie, but this movie, very easily, if you just want to take this movie at face value and have fun with it, mm-hmm. there's enough, there's, it's there's more than enough to keep you easily entertained. Mm-hmm. And then if you like to dive in a little bit deeper like we do you can. and talk about it, there's so much to talk about. Mm-hmm. And there's so many great... It's a smart movie. It's, it's a smart very movie. Smart. So it, it, but, it puts... It, it'll raise your IQ to watch it. <laughs> but, just, but not only that, you can tell because just listening to Pecula talk, he's a smart man. Yep. He's very, very intelligent. Very literate. And I love... The little mini documentary interview opens with him talking about saying that, and we'll leave it at this because I think this is the hope. This movie doesn't leave you with hope, but this quote will leave you with hope. I said at 17 that I wanted to be a director. It wasn't until I reached 40 that I directed my first movie. Yeah. So that's the hope. Yeah. That quote is the hope. Yeah. That it's never too late. Yeah. And, I mean, granted, he did work as a screenwriter and a producer. So, I mean, he he did... It's kind of like paying your dues. Yeah, but, I mean, seriously, he waited over 20 years to find. And he said that that he kind of put himself in limbo working as a producer because he had so much fun working with, I believe it was Robert Mulligan, the director. I think he had so much fun working with him that he didn't even want to direct. But he finally got that, that itch needed to be scratched. And he started with Clute. I believe, in 71. Was that his first directorial? I believe that was his first directorial movie. Okay. And then... Which put him on the map. Yeah. I haven't seen Clute all the way through. Unfortunately, I've only seen the ending, which oh, gives away yeah. everything. But I know. But I still want to see the whole movie. But I'm, I, I, and I, did he? Yeah. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I, I think Pacula is gonna be one that we're gonna we're gonna revisit, um, if not with Clute, with uh, something else of his. I need um, to see real quick if he did the getaway with Steve McQueen 
and Ali McGraw. So while you're doing that, yeah. I am going to... Wrap it uh, up? No, I'm going to admit something to you and oh. our audience. Oh, wow. Go for it. I've only seen the remake of The Getaway with, oh, with Alec Baldwin and, and Kim, Kim Basinger. Bassinger. And how and, was that? I never saw um, it. If you're a fan of those two, it's a great movie. Um, <laughs> if you can kind of take it or leave it, they both have done much better work. It's kind of um, sometimes working with your spouse uh, can lead to really, really good things, and sometimes not so much. It can lead to vanity projects. It can lead to vanity projects, and then we have something like Eyes Wide Shut, which I would argue is the anti-vanity project. It is. Well, I mean, when you've got Kubrick on board, you're not going to have... It's not going to be a Kidman right. and Cruise movie. It's no. not. It's going to be a, It's going to be a Kubrick movie. So it's an anti-vanity project, and uh, yeah, because... Uh, he did, I, not I, do, he did not do the getaway. Okay, I, I didn't think he did. Yeah. I, that seems a little bit too much action-orientated for him. For him, He did Sophie's Choice, and he... Oh, he did Orphans. Uh, I, I like that flick. That I haven't seen. I've seen you, Sophie's Choice. That's. I mean, he makes movies that make you think. Yeah. And, uh, he did The Devil's Own with uh, Harrison Ford and uh, Brad Pitt. That's a, that's a decent movie. Yeah. So he's still... Um, is that Was that his last uh, it movie? It was his last movie. Okay. So um, I'm sure we'll revisit him at, at other times. But just remember, this man said at 17 he was going to be a director. It wasn't until 40. For, so for those of you listening, um, and just for you know reassurance for me and Andrew, just don't, don't give up on your dreams. Um, because this movie will make you not want to try. Like, what happens if I try? Oh, my God, I'm going to be killed. <laughs> no. That's, I mean, don't go up against... Uh, something like the parallax corporation <laughs> but uh or in in uh or at least or at least in manchurian candidate in the remake they made the manchurian reference a corporation right yeah that's i don't think that's the case in the original no I, it. yeah i think yeah. You, i think you're right yeah. so um this movie might not give you a, a glimmer of hope but um pacula just as a as an individual as a creative individual is, gives you more than enough Hope and uh, thank you again for all of uh, all of you listening. We do this because we love it. We'd be doing it even if you weren't listening. The fact that you are listening means the absolute world to us, and we're just going to keep cranking it out. This will be the first episode dropping in August, and we've got some fun stuff in August, and then we've we've always got fun stuff planned. Yeah. So just just stick, stick around, with, stick with us. Um, <laughs> we're, we're hoping to offer you an, an alternative to um, to some of the. Uh, the mainstream blockbuster movies out there. And uh, again, you know, y- you're going to find some real gems. Like, we- we've uncovered some real gems doing this show. So that's that's what we love to do. And the fact that you're along for the ride means the world to us. So um, that that's it. We're going to be signing off for this evening. But um, please check back again soon. We'll have another episode. Um, soon. Before you know it. Yeah, right. And uh, we can't we can't stay away. We from can't this stay too away long. from it. And not only that, if uh, I doubt that any of you have listened to all of our previous episodes, so so dig in there. There's some there's some real. There, you, you'd be surprised some of the titles that we've uh, we've covered on this show. So uh, be well, stay cool, drink lots of water. <laughs> <laughs> Over and out. Oh.